We all got to hear it. That was supposed to be an under my breath, thank you for the readers. We all got to hear it. What a great thing. About a firm the month and a half ago, our church as a whole affirmed the budget for 2015, which is to say that we as individuals committed to a pattern of giving this next year. In almost every church service happening today across the country, the offering plate will be passed. And it's become a joke that you haven't had church until you've taken an offering. So why do we receive an offering? Does God need the money? Of course not. Is it to shore up our budget? Is it because all the church really wants is my money? And many people think that, and with good reason. Is the money you put in the plate a sort of cover charge for church, dues for coming to church? Other questions. How much is appropriate to give? What if I can't afford it? Should I give to the church or to other charities and Christian ministries? So let's think about these things for a while today. Did you know that the Bible talks about money more than prayer? Did you know that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell? We normally call tithing, uh, we normally call giving tithing. So we're going to talk a bit about the biblical context for tithing. The tithe was an integral part not only of religious Israel's religious life, but also her programs of social care. In fact, in God's economy, they are not two separate things. James 1 verse 27 says that God's idea of good religion is caring for the orphans and the widows. We worship God by taking care of those in need. And in Israel, the tithe was a vehicle by which that happened. The word tithe simply means tenth. And tithing was a practice of setting aside 10% of your income, of your crops, and giving it to the Lord. And the principle of the tithe was not uh, uncommon, but it became, in the law of Moses, given at Mount Sinai, it became an established part of Israel's national religious life. In Leviticus 27, verse 30, God gives this command. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. In verse 32, the entire tithe of the herd and the flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. So a tenth of everything, crop, animal, was set aside and it was understood to belong to God. And the way that was given to God was by giving it to his representative, the priest, the Levites. The tribe of Levi um, oversaw Israel's religious life. That is, they looked after the tabernacle and later the temple. They oversaw and usually actually offered themselves the sacrifices. They were teachers of the law, the religious educators of the people. 
And as such, the Levites were not giving a chunk of the promised land as the other tribes were given. Instead, they lived scattered throughout the tribes in cities specifically designated for them. And in order that they might devote themselves full-time to their ministry duties, the other 12 tribes gave, gave them the tithe or the cash value of the tithe. In that way, the Levites didn't have to become shepherds, farmers, tradesmen to support themselves. The tithe ensured that Levites were looked after. Um, in Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 to 29, we see that this happened in two ways. Each Israelite family was allowed to eat the tithe, but only in designated places, and only if they invited some of the Levites to share the meal with them. And then secondly, every three years, the tithe would be collected and stored that would provide for the Levites for some time. And the Levites were then required to administrate the tithe. They would do that by paying for the uh, upkeep of the tabernacle and the temple. They were also distributed to the poor who are in need, which our deacons do. So the tithe was God's way of providing for the Levites and for the poor of the land. But the tithe didn't stop there. Numbers 18, verse 26 and following, commands the Levites also to tithe. And they took the best tenth, verse 29, the best tenth of what they received and gave it, tithe it themselves to the high priest. And God said that the failure of the Levites to do this would defile all the tithe of the tribes of Israel. One more thing from the law. Oh, no. Um, that's why I tithe. Your giving enables me to give myself full time to the ministry of the church. But we take 10% of our income and put it back into the ministry of the church because we are not exempt to give as well. And nor were the Levites exempt. One more thing. Uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 26, verses 12 to 15, demonstrate the ritual attached to the giving of the tithe. This ritual included a declaration of the people, of the givers, that before God, that they had tithe and not withheld any of it. They were required to swear this in the presence of God. So that was the Old Testament practice of the tithe. That 10% belonged to God and was set aside for the support of the priests and Levites, for the funding of the spiritual ministry, and for the care of the underprivileged. So if people didn't tithe, the poor went hungry. In the New Testament, we see a paradigm shift as regards the law. Since no one could satisfy God's standard of rightness and goodness by keeping perfectly the whole law, God's Son, Jesus Christ, perfectly kept the law for us. 
and died to pair, bear the punishment for all of our law-breaking. And we are now not compelled to keep the law in order to secure God's favor. Through faith in Christ, we have God's favor. It is due not to our performance, but because of God's grace. Now, in light of that, something interesting and unexpected happens. Rather than the expectation to conform outwardly to God's righteousness as expressed in the law, God is at work in each Christian to conform us inwardly to his righteousness. And so where the, the commands of a law were given to administrate or conduct, the effect of grace is that principle behind the law are governing our character. And what happens is that not that grace undermines or removes the law as much as makes the law unnecessary by moving beyond it. It's like the actor who knows his line so well that he engages with the character he's called to portray. He doesn't have to think about, what's my line? Or the person riding the bike who moved beyond training wheels into riding for the sheer pleasure of it because it doesn't have to think about balance and speed and training to be able to ride his bike. Law was the training wheels. Grace is just the sheer giving, sheer love of giving. And what we see in the New Testament is people giving for the sheer delight of giving, giving generously, giving joyfully, and not just because they have to. There is such a thing as joyful duty, and giving is one of those things. So in Acts 2 verse 44, for example, they're selling stuff and sharing the proceeds with whomever among them needed it. In Acts 4 verse 37, Barnabas sells some of his land and gives the money to the church for use in ministry as it is needed. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul praises the Macedonians who, even though they were in poverty, and experiencing real trials, gave generously, even beyond their ability, and considered it a privilege to serve God and people in this way. So the New Testament takes the law of the tithe and moves beyond it. It takes it to the next level. And the average giving in 2007, the most recent stats I could find, was about 3%. And Randy Alcorn, is a book, uh, in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, says concerning the 10%, the Israelites were nearly four times more responsive to the law of Moses than the average Christian is to the grace of Christ. So how are you doing? How are we, how are we as a church doing it's not my intent to beat you up or to guilt us into giving more. Um, every once in a while, I've received hints that I should preach about tithing, about stewardship. And, and I've resisted because I don't want preaching about tithing to be used as a way of shoring up our budget. 
God doesn't need our money. However, I've come to understand that giving is a discipleship issue, a Christian living issue. And if our giving is poor, that says something about our spiritual health. So I don't want to beat you up and say, shape up. That's not my job. My job is to tell you what God says in his word and to challenge you to consider these things. And so today, I do want to give you some things to consider to help us rethink our understanding and practice of giving and to call for an appropriate response. So what has God said about why it's appropriate to tithe? Three things. First, it's appropriate to give because it all belongs to God. That is true of all things. My money, my car, my home, my income, my time, myself. All the things that we think of as ours aren't. They were God's. And for the tithe, that is even more true. Remember, for the Israelites, the first 10% of their income, crops, and livestock were set aside as belonging to the Lord. It wasn't theirs to give or to not give. In the book of Malachi, when the people complain that things are not going well, God says, it's because you're withholding the tithe. And it's interesting that the word God, God gives to what they're doing is robbery. They weren't merely withholding from God. They were robbing him. They were claiming for themselves what did not belong to them, but belonged to God. Uh, Ron is their project manager. Suppose some of Ron's workers took the materials and took them home to build themselves a house. What if an airline pilot decided instead of flying his route to Vancouver, would fly to New Brunswick to visit his family? To withhold a tithe is the same. To keep for ourselves what God has entrusted to us so we can do our work as Christians, to withhold it for ourselves, the Bible calls it robbing God. So we give to God because it is God's, not ours. Secondly, and each of these you'll see builds on the others, secondly, it's appropriate to give because in giving we respond to God's grace. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, part of which we read earlier, is the most intensive teaching on giving in the New Testament. And um, I challenge you to go home and read it, and read it before God and ask him what he wants you to do. In that passage, we are given this as a motivation for giving. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. That's the heart of a Christian message. Christ left the glory of heaven, gave up all in order to die for our sins, that we might be forgiven, be restored to God, and gain heaven on top of it all. He didn't have to do that, but he did. What grace. 
We're amazed at his incredible love for us, and we respond to him, we respond to him with love and with gratitude. When my kids were little, they needed their diapers changed pretty regularly. They needed to be fed and bathed, and they needed to be loved, played with, and taught. So Cara and I did those things. Our kids were a delight to us. We think they're beautiful and wonderful, and they give us great joy most of the time. And we're more than happy to play with them and read to them and give them food and baths. Now, is it our duty as parents to do those things? Sure, we're obligated, but we are motivated by our love to do that duty. It's still duty, sure, changing a diaper will never be a leisure activity, but even though it's duty, because we love them, we do it. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's still commandments, it's still obedience, and it's my conviction that financial giving to God, work, God's work, is a command. But we do it because we love him. We respond to his grace. We give because it belongs to God and so are obligated to give. But more compellingly, we're motivated by God's grace to give. And finally, it's appropriate for us to give because we seek God's blessing. I know that people give to receive God's blessing in an unhealthy way. But it's appropriate, it's appropriate for us to seek God's blessing. The New Testament repeatedly ties the extent to which we are blessed to the extent by which we give. Just a few examples. Luke 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be given to you. Philippians 4, verse 19. In response to the Philippians in supporting Paul financially, Paul encourages him with the reminder that God is able to meet all their needs according to his glorious riches. There's Jesus' parable of the talents where the one who exercised good stewardship of his money was given more. The one who was unfaithful forfeited his money. Jesus said that if we seek first God in his kingdom, we won't have to worry about whether we obtain everything that we need. 2 Corinthians, again, in context of giving to the kingdom. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, there is an obvious danger, though, in giving in order to manipulate God to make us rich. I don't think God is interested in making us rich. I think he only blesses those who give so that he'll be able to give us more. Say you have $1,000 that you wanted to invest, and you gave $100 each to five different investors and say, invest this for me. And two of them lose your $100 at the casino. One of them uses your $100 to take his family to Callaway Park. 
and the other two invested their $200. So who are you, in, who are you asked to invest the remaining $500? The guy who went to the casino? I'm convinced that God entrusts with his resources those who prove trustworthy. So three very appropriate reasons why people should give generously. is God's anyway, so we have the duty to give. But we give in response to God's grace and because God blesses those who give. And I also like to mention some common reasons why people don't give or don't give 10%. First and most obviously, they don't give because they're unaware that it's God's expectation. Some people just don't know that tithing is a part of Christian living. So teaching is necessary, hence today. The second reason is that people object to giving on the grounds that it is legalistic. Tithing is from the Old Testament law, and we're under New Testament grace. Well, by that reasoning, there shouldn't be any commands in the New Testament, but there are lots to pray, to love, to obey the government, and so on. Certainly many Old Testament commands are carrying into the New Testament. Commands not to commit adultery. Commands not to murder. To honor your parents. To have a weekly day of rest and worship. Giving is explicitly affirmed in the New Testament. And, and as we've seen, just because something is a law or duty does not mean that grace is in there somewhere too. We are in fact to be motivated by grace in our obedience, but it's still obedience, obedience. A third reason is that many people put off tithing till later, saying, I'll tithe when my debts are paid. Surely God wants me to pay debts first. And maybe, maybe our debts, your debts, are genuine, legitimate. But it's worth asking, why are you in debt? Are you in debt because you spent money foolishly? Are you making payments on a more expensive house or car than you need? Don't steal from God to cover your debts, to cover your foolishness. Besides, isn't God a debt? In fact, isn't he first on the list? God gives the first, not the leftovers. I don't think God wants you to withhold your tithe in order to pay your debts. I think you will honor your decision to pay your tithe, to pay him first and bless you in order that you may pay your debts. The fourth reason is that 10% is too much right now. I want to give, but I'll start at 1%, 3%, and gradually move it up to 10%. Now, 10% is not mandated in the New Testament. I want to be clear on that. But I think that 10% is a good starting place because we're under grace, not under law. 
Related to that is the fifth reason people don't tithe is just that I can't afford it. And interestingly, both Haggai chapter 1 and Malachi chapter 3, the people complained they weren't prospering. And God answered them saying, it's because you're not tithing. You're trying to look after yourself at my expense. So I'm not blessing. In other words, they said, we can't tithe because we're short of funds. When in reality, they were short of funds because they didn't tithe. The truth is, everyone can afford to tithe. And I say that for two reasons. One, because if some people couldn't tithe, God wouldn't have made it an expectation. And secondly, I know everyone can afford to tithe because I know that God can afford to look after you. When we say, I can't afford it, what we're really saying is, I'll be left short if I tithe. Which is another way of saying, God won't look after my needs. I better hold on to this. Now, let me be clear without, I hope, being unduly harsh. But it is my conviction that God's people are called to give. All of us. A proportion of our income to the work of the kingdom. And that it's appropriate for this 10% to be directed into the ministry of your local church. Since that's a place in the kingdom where God has placed you. I don't eat at Wendy's and go pay McDonald's. And that's why we often say that if you're a guest here this morning... Let the plate pass. Don't put anything into it. If you're, if you're visiting from another church, you pay your tithe to that church. We receive an offering because giving is an important part of worship and obedience. And therefore, it's good for us. It's Christian living. It's part of discipleship. And to close... I have another list for you. Three, three, three reasons why it's important to give. Five reasons why people don't give. Well, when you go from here, do these four things. Examine. Is your level of giving appropriate to their income? Two, ask. If not, why not? What are your reasons for not giving 10% or whatever? Are they valid? And then pray. Assuming that you really do want to honor God, ask him what he'd like you to do with respect to your giving. And then fourth, commit. Do what you believe God wants you to do and trust that God will provide everything that you need. Sam Houston, general in the American South a century and a half ago, came to faith in Jesus Christ and was accordingly baptized. And afterward, when he offered to pay his, past, his pastor, half the pastor's salary, excuse me, when asked why he would do that, he said, my pocketbook was baptized too. And yours is as well. And mine is 
as well. Let's pray. Lord, everything is yours, and we say that, say that easily and quickly, but everything is yours. I am yours from first breath in the morning to last breath at night and even through the night. Everything I am and have is yours. Again, by your grace, help me to own that, live it, and help us to live it. Help us to surrender to you every day, our very selves, our time, and yes, our money. We don't want to rob you, but we do seek your blessing. We do seek your favor. As Christ gave everything for us, we give everything to you. And that's hard to say. It's hard to say. But we choose to do it. We choose to do it. Thank you for your grace. Help us to respond obediently to it. And I pray that as we go from here and pray and talk about and read the scriptures, that you will be clear to us what you call us to do and to give. In Jesus' name, amen.